Welcome to Rewatchability. It's a podcast on the Entertainment One Podcast Network. I'm Robert Larone. With me, as always, is J.M. McNabb. And we're here to talk about a very special movie, I think. It's a, it's a gonzo movie. It's crazy. It's one of the craziest studio films probably ever made. And it's also a sequel to a really great movie. But before we get into that, we should thank our Patreons. Those are the people who give us a little bit of money each month. Could be one, could be three, could be five dollars. And that helps us keep the podcast going, helps us keep the lights on. It helps us out. And in return, you get the podcast early as well as some special bonus content. And you can do that at patreon.com slash rewatchability. So we are talking about Gremlins 2. It's a crazy movie. It's a big. Whoa, whoa, whoa. That's what? not the whole title. You've got to say Gremlins 2 colon. <laughs> right. Okay. Gremlins 2 colon the new batch. Thank you. Directed by Joe Dante with a slight assist by Chuck Jones and starring Zach Galligan, Phoebe Cates, and of course, Gizmo. And this was the, the sequel to the huge phenomenon that was Gremlins. And, you know, it came out a little bit later. It was really off the wall. It didn't fare quite as well, but it had a special place in my heart. What about you, Jam? When was the first time that you saw Gremlins 2, the new badge? Oh, man. Yeah, I was trying to remember this because I don't totally remember. I don't... I think... I almost went back and listened to the episode we did about Gremlins years Mm -hmm. ago (laughs) because I was like, when did I watch... Because I think I saw Gremlins 2 first. Oh, really? I think so. But I didn't see it in the theater. I think I saw it when it first came out on uh, VHS. Because I would have been like a baby when Gremlins came out. And right. it hadn't been quite adopted as like the seasonal favorite <laughs> that it right. has been today, uh, yeah. the first Gremlins. So I think like, and I remember there being a lot of hype around Gremlins too. Mm-hmm. Like I remember the commercials. I remember, I think... I maybe I'm misremembering, but I, I I feel like there was a bit on America's Funniest Home Videos where oh. like the Gremlins stopped by or something. Maybe that Bob was a Saget. dream. <laughs> yeah, they I think they murdered Bob Saget. <laughs> I think that was the the joke. So for me, like I think when I think about what a Gremlins movie is, I kind of think of this movie. I kind of right. think more the zaniness and okay. the the like absurdity. And when I go back and watch the first one, which I do from time to time, I, I saw it uh, the last Christmas that, 
that theaters were widely open, I oh. went and saw it at a rep theater. Yeah, oh, and man. the first time I saw it on the big screen, and it, it was great. And I, but every time I go back to the first Gremlins, I am surprised by you know how dark it gets. And I right. know it's famous for for being you know one of the movies that helped prompt the MPAA to create. PG-13. Like, I, mm. I know that, but still, I'm always surprised by how kind of grim the first movie is, because I think this was my introduction to, like, the tone of Gremlins, if that makes sense. This this feels right when I watch <laughs> this one. Right, right, right. But okay. what about you? Because you suggested this. This must be... I basically said to you, you pick the movie. We can do whatever you want. Oh, man. And, Did and I so have you, some... I had some thoughts... Some uh-huh. some movies pass through my mind. I I thought about just maybe torturing you because I know there are some movies that you know we we always that we might not love to uh, revisit. But you know I thought this Wait, was one like like what what were you going to torture me with? Oh I don't know. Now I can't think of anything. But it was a big movie for me, and the Gremlins franchise was a big franchise for me. And I wasn't on the uh, Gremlins podcast that you recorded many oh. years ago. I think that was when I was in Vancouver briefly. So I never got to talk about all of my gremlins feelings. So this is <laughs> this is me. I'm going to get them all out right now. Like, I love gremlins. And I guess part of it was that, like, I, at a very young age, like, as a toddler, was given a gizmo stuffy, which yeah. that was, like, my thing. That was my friend, well, I was like okay. forming feelings and, you know, so it was I, I thought that this was like a kid's thing. I just thought it was like a normal part of, of life. And then there were these like read along books. Oh, yeah. The cassette yeah. tape. And you had those. And yeah, like that gets into the sort of horror of the gremlins, which is what the title is gremlins. But even that, I mean, it was sort of acceptable for kids. And yeah, I don't think it was like, even though this movie came out six years after the original, like it didn't seem to me as a kid, like it had been that long in a way because gremlins, there was so much gremlins merchandise, Mm -hmm. so much stuff circulating in the world. Because even when they stopped, you know, selling it in stores, if if they did, which I'm sure they did. But like, I even remember in, in the late 80s or whenever I... I would be going to like garage sales and see, and finding, you know, gremlin stuff yeah. because it had been so big just a few years earlier. So I just remember gremlins still being around and still being a thing when two came out, even though, yeah, it, 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 it maybe had, had in terms of like the broader culture, it had been a while. Mm. <laughs> maybe not everyone was thinking about gremlins, but it was, it was more on my mind. And I think I was still scared of it too. Like, that's the other thing. It, it did seem scary. When yeah. I saw it. Well, once I saw the movies, I i mean, the first one really did scare me. I, I definitely was afraid of that movie, but also delighted, of course. And the second one I just thought was a lot of fun. I might even have seen the second one before I saw the, uh, the first one. They're all sort of jumbled in my mind. But I do remember loving it and just like loving the zaniness of it and loving how cartoonish it was. And it was just so up my alley as a kid. I mean, there was, you know, just images coming at you from everywhere. It was very exciting. And I, you know, it was one of my favorite movies, hands down, when I was a kid. And it didn't occur to me until later how, like, yeah, dark and scary and kind of, like, fucked up some of the things in these movies are. But I guess I turned out fine. Um, (laughs) 
but you, yeah, you don't eat after midnight. No, but yeah, yeah, I mean those are you know, and you haven't showered in years. But that's <laughs> that's unrelated. But imagine if I did. Can you imagine like you know, twelve <laughs> to fifteen of me? You know, multiple <laughs> variations. One with like a little mohawk. Bad oh, yeah. news. Yeah, yeah, but I hadn't seen it in a long time, and because yeah, it's not a seasonal favorite. Gremlins two hadn't come up in my life, but I, I recently. I can't remember where, but I re-saw the Key and Peele sketch. Oh, yeah. The Gremlins 2 sketch, which is hilarious. I, I don't see that the, uh, the Gremlin design is broken. It's called brainstorming, not brain drizzling, sweet pea. Okay? Shut your mouth for a second. Look, here's the thing. None of this is final. So you mean, like, what if there was, like, a brainy gremlin? <laughs> a brainy gremlin. You talking about a gremlin with glasses who could talk and sing New York, New York? That's brilliant. It's in the movie done. Whoa, whoa, you, you said that nothing was final. That was before I heard the words brainy and gremlin in the same sentence together. It's done. I love it. It's in the movie next. And, yeah, I, I thought it'd be a great movie to talk about. And I guess they are working on a Gremlins 3 as well. Well, um, they've been talking about that for a long time. I don't. Well, one true. thing that is for sure happening is there's like an animated prequel series. There is, yeah, coming that, out. Yeah, that's right, and it takes place in like China. Yeah, there has BD they're, Wong. They're really they're gonna try to. Uh, <laughs> I'm imagining like retroactively fix some of the more problematic elements yeah. of the uh, story. They have, they have a lot of work to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, should we get into the rundown? Let's do it. So, Gremlins 2, it takes place after the events of the first Gremlins, sometime after the events of the first Gremlins movie. Now, Billy has grown up a little bit more, and he and his girlfriend, played by Phoebe Cates, have moved to the Big Apple, New York City, and they're living that big city life. But, you know, it's not all easy. He feels like he should have been promoted, and they're working at this, like, really crappy corporate building called Clamp Industries or Clamp right. whatever. And this was one thing that I didn't remember about Gremlins 2, is that one of the characters is very much based on Donald fucking Trump. And, I mean, that's always a weird thing to see. Well, you know, I think that was... It's funny you say that because I remember people talking about it like when he was elected, like, oh, yeah, being like, hey, this is crazy. He was, you know, the guy in Gremlins. And, you know, I and I knew that going in, but I haven't watched this movie in years. And I was and I know like Joe Dante hates Donald Trump. Like, <laughs> I I, uh, I do sometimes listen to his podcast. So I I. Get, you know, I feel like I get updates from Joe Dante on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. And, then, you know, I know that politically he hates Trump. Not a so fan. I, I'm sure ha would he to make a movie with a Trump analog today, it would be much different because we, they, he kind of gets let off the hook a little bit in this movie because it's he has a redemption story. He, he has, has kind of a redemption of story. And he's played by it's John Glover, right? Mm -hmm. That's the actor. And he's an amazing actor. I he's love great. John Glover. He's obviously in Scrooge. I think he's the voice of the Riddler in Batman, mm -hmm. the animated series. Like yeah. he's fantastic. And he's just so like, he plays the, the part is more like a bumbling kind of billionaire. Mm -hmm. He's not overtly evil. He's just kind of clueless. And yeah. Yeah. So I, I just think, yeah, it, it, you can see how it's inspired by Trump, but I don't think they really 
go for like I, I was almost disappointed that they didn't actually like attack the the root of sort of 80s business sleaze like yeah. they could have i mean uh, they sort of do a bit but they don't get into his like filthy luxury you know gold toilet baloney <laughs> but he's also it's not solely based off trump we should no. say he's also part ted turner who you know i'm sure he's not like a perfect guy but he did give us captain planet so gotta give that's him that. true yeah, and there's a very specific dig at Ten Turner when they ha- they mention there's a joke about like how he colorizes movies. Yeah, at one point. Yeah, so, yeah. It's it's kind of a blend, but even just like in terms of like attacking like '80s consumerism, I think that that by the end they they do uh, kind of pull their punches a little bit. But we'll get into that. Uh, but sure, before we go, sure. I-, I do want to mention the very beginning because talking about right. Like, how Gremlins has like the basic story of it has this Orientalist vibe to it, where it's it's literally an old Chinese man in a shop with a magic creature, mm-hmm. and and they <laughs> solve that problem in this movie by mysteriously killing him immediately. Yeah, <laughs> Which I don't know if that's better or worse because yeah, it's weird because they want to buy his shop, like the Clamp character wants the property. And they go and he won't sell it. And then they're like, Robert Picardo is like his right hand man is like, well, let's, he was coughing a lot. He'll probably be dead. Let's just <laughs> wait it out. And then six weeks later, they're like, yep, he's dead. Yeah. What did you <laughs> he's know, never Robert Picardo? Again. He should, I, he should have helped him. He's a holographic doctor. <laughs> it's a violation of his Hippocratic oath. But, So, yeah, his shop closes down. I mean, this is a story of gentrification, which is why it's specifically about Trump in, like, the 80s. He's, like, the big developer who is, like, closing down things and opening, you know, all these, like, gaudy, shitty buildings. But, so, yeah, they want to close down his place. And they they do close it down. And poor Gizmo, who, as you remember from the uh, first Grumman's movie, was repossessed by Mr. Wing. He sort of has to escape the demolition. And he goes running and he is picked up by one of the guys who works at the genetics lab in the Clamp building. He's played by these twins, and it's the guy from Terminator 2 who's the cop with the coffee, and then Terminator Robert Patrick turns into him, and that's how they do it. Twins. So, yeah, he can only get roles where he plays either twins or someone who's a shapeshifter. (laughs) That's right. Copies him. Can you imagine, like, one guy just wants to strike out on his own? He keeps right. <laughs> the other brother keeps bringing these lucrative twins offers. He's like, "No, I, I want to be my right. own man." <laughs> You're gonna say no to uh, Joe Dante? You can say no to James Cameron? They're rebooting so. Parent Trap, but with two middle-aged men. It's perfect for us. <laughs> yeah, but so that's all in the Clamp Building. I mean, everything is in this building. The genetic splicing laboratory is not even related to the Trump character. It's a completely different thing. It's just a rental. And that's right. run by Christopher Lee as Dr. Catheter, which is uh, <laughs> kind of funny. It's a thing that goes in your penis if you're in the hospital. So that's true. Hello, doctor. How's the cloning work coming along? Really well, doctor. Lewis? Say, doctor, we've got something we want you to take a look at. I think you'll find it interesting. I found it downtown on one of my specimen scouts. It's some sort of rodent, apparently, and it seems to be allergic to bright light. 
cute, isn't it? That may be genetic. We're not sure yet. Oh no, we're not no. sure. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, that, that's one thing I love about Dante, Joe Dante, and I love a lot of things about Joe Dante, but like when he casts these movie icons who maybe weren't getting the best yeah. jobs around that time. I mean, this movie's full of of great old actors who show up in, in weird bit parts, but but maybe the most prominent of them here is Christopher Lee. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But so Billy, he's just working this uh, graphic design job at the uh, Clamp Industries. And, you know, he has a boss who is sort of into him, but he has a girlfriend. And his job is, like, really tedious to him. Like, they tell him to put trees on his drawing, and uh, there's not going to be any trees in the final product, but they just want them there for the drawing and so you know i mean it seems like he has an okay job you know like he's drawing pictures for a living come on man (laughs) why so glum galligan well it is like a crazy building which we see it's it's like a a smart building Mm -hmm. so everything's like electrified you know it is a weird kind of callback to the first movie where his dad was an, an inventor oh. and everything was kind of souped up in his house. Right. I'm just, I'm just realizing this now as we're talking about it, but you know, he had all these gadgets and gizmos hey. that didn't quite work properly, you know, trying to improve their house growing up. And now he's in a building that's essentially that, like it's got all these things that are supposed issues. to, <laughs> yeah, the whole building is, is a, daddy issue but it's kind of the same thing like nothing quite works the like you know the revolving doors are like motorized and people are getting flung across the room like mm-hmm. and this is this is pre-gremlin like this is this is just this is just right. shitty, shitty inventions like, we have nothing to do here yeah yeah it's funny because yeah the whole like gremlin mythology mm-hmm. i think is based on like reports of like malfunctioning planes in world war ii wasn't wasn't that it that like yeah and there's like histories of like you know folk creatures yeah folk tales about creatures in certain industries like in mining and you know, right. all of those things and they cause troubles and they're the ones that you know cause the accidents where people die but that's what's funny about this movie because it's like the building's already malfunctioning <laughs> yeah they probably have three to five dead people a week you're right yeah and this is yeah so if anything you know throw some gremlins in the gremlins might help yeah you never know yeah but so galligan he finds out that gizmo is in the building because this messenger guy he comes whistling gizmo's tune you know the i don't remember how it goes that's pretty close um and uh, this messenger is uh, Tuco from Breaking Bad. Yeah, that's crazy. And then at the end of the movie, Dean Norris shows up. Yeah, they they both heard new batch and they got the wrong idea. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. If they ever reboot Breaking Bad, I hope they also call it Breaking Bad, the new batch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Tuco. That's, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Also, he's great. I just saw him, I watched Training Day, and he's in that, basically playing a very Tuco-esque character. He's, he's great. so good. And he's great in uh, playing the same part in Better Call Saul. So, yeah. Like, he almost gets more to do in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Everybody yeah. does. Everybody sure. does. Oh, and um, 
I was looking at this because I, I I almost messed it up when I was looking for trivia questions. The guy who plays Mike Ermintrout is in the first Gremlins movie, but not the second. Oh yeah. But anyway, there's so many cameos in this movie. But Zach Galligan, he's got to go rescue his giz. So he goes and uh, he does that. And uh, he grabs him and he puts him in his filing cabinet. But then he has to go on this date with his boss, which problematic. And they go to this Canadian restaurant. <laughs> yeah, we're going to have to stop here and spend about 35 minutes talking about everything in this Canadian restaurant. I thought the chocolate mousse was a thing that would I would just ex- have more of. I would have some of in my adult life. I expected it to be on every menu. Wait, but is like chocolate mousse Yeah, not but a it's thing not shaped in... like a like a mousse. Yeah, but is it not a thing in the US? I mean, was that a joke? It is, I think they're just making the pun about it being Uh, like a moose because he's like have an antler. Oh, and that actor who plays the waiter in the outfit is is from Six Feet Under. He plays Ruth's uh, uh, co-worker. But Uh, anyway, so many good actors. All the waiters are dressed like Mounties and uh, Zach Allegan's drinking a Molson Canadian. And I love that they're playing Gordon Lightfoot (laughs) in the restaurant, too. It's... Perfect. And it's exactly like all Canadian restaurants. Yeah, absolutely. Even if you go to like a like a a Kelsey's or like a corporate owned restaurant, it still looks exactly like that. Yeah. Even if it's a a nice Italian restaurant, it's still all the waiters are dressed like Mounties. But I feel like that one Gordon Lightfoot song in maybe like in places like in America, there probably are Canadian themed bars, which are kind of like that. You know, or, or restaurants. Like, I, I don't know. I can, I, I can sort of believe it. I think I've seen that joke elsewhere, too. Mm. Like, is that... I'm going to look that up. I feel like I've seen that <laughs> on another okay. show. Keep keep going. All right. Well, so everything is fine, but he has to have his girlfriend, Kate, look after Gizmo and get him from his filing cabinet. Except, in the meantime, Gizmo... I almost said something that... Uh, wouldn't have sounded right. Uh, Gizmo gets water on him through an incident involving Frank Gorshin. No, no, no. A... Wrong, wrong Riddler. Oh, fuck. Sorry, sorry. It was John, John Aston. <laughs> yeah, John Aston as this surly janitor who's pretty hilarious. But he accidentally gets water on Gizmo. And you know what happens. You know the rules of Gizmo. You can't get water on him. You can't feed him after midnight, and uh, you know. So he multiplies. There, he he sprouts these like four other gizmos. There's one with like buck teeth and googly eyes, and there's another one with just googly eyes. They're all a little bit different. Mm-hmm. But then Phoebe Cates she takes home the wrong mogwai, and it's all it's all trouble from there. You got any update on this? Uh... No, Canadian I restaurant. I can't find it. I feel like, yeah, I mean, write to us uh, or tweet at us at Rewatchability if you can remember another movie or TV show where there's like a joke Canadian restaurant. Mm-hmm. Or if you know a place where I can get a chocolate mousse shaped like a mousse. Yeah, or a poutine shaped like Pierre Trudeau. <laughs> or Justin Trudeau. No, I don't want that one. No. I don't want any of them. <laughs> I don't want any food shaped like a Trudeau. Yeah. I, I'll, I'll just have poutine shaped like poutine. I don't even like poutine. You know what? Forget the whole thing. All right. But, yeah. So now 
there are more Mogwai, and you know what's going to happen. Like, they're eventually going to eat something after midnight, and they do, and they turn into the gremlins, and then it's all trouble from there. And, like, the big thing is they're in New York City. If these gremlins get out, they're going to have the time of their lives, Mm. you know? And it'll be a big, it'll be a disaster. So they want to prevent that from happening. But a a whole bunch of crazy shit happens. Like, this is where it starts going, like, off the wall. As soon as the gremlins are introduced, everything goes absolutely bonkers. Like, first of all, these gremlins, (laughs) they don't just stay regular gremlins. No, they go to Christopher Lee's lab, and they get a whole bunch of different potions, Potions, uh, solutions that make them enhance them in various ways like there is the smart talking gremlin yeah which is voiced by tony randall yeah pretty hilarious and (laughs) also got some pipes also the spider gremlin there's a bat gremlin and electricity gremlin it's crazy yeah that's the thing like when i was a kid again i think i saw this one first so all of this made sense to me like, it was probably... Hey, where's Bat Gremlin? Yeah, it was probably weirder for me as a kid going back and watching the first one and seeing that they were just normal gremlins. Like, <laughs> there were no super smart ones. So, yeah, so, like, even, yeah, watching the Key and Peele sketch, like, I can get why that would When's be funny. When's the film gonna break? Yeah. <laughs> but you can get why that would be funny, because they're, like, a little bit older than us. So I can, I can see mm-hmm. why you would think that was so... That's- crazy yeah that's what i mean like we definitely shouldn't have seen this movie when it came out like we were six or seven yeah it was yeah even even then i mean and also like we talk about the first one being like more violent or darker i will say like there are obviously more comedic moments and broader moments but i would say this movie is just so insane that there are also scarier moments and grosser moments like i'm thinking about Mm early on kind of where we are in the movie when the gremlins are first attacking, like there's that scene where Phoebe Cates is in the elevator and they're all like their arms are like breaking through and grabbing her. And then there's nothing, nothing in the first movie. And uh, they're grabbing her legs. It's like vaguely sexual. Well, I mean, I think there is a sexual component to the gremlins that we need to unpack maybe in the second yeah. half but i mean there definitely is i mean look at what happens with robert, or robert ricardo. ricardo yeah but also i i think there's a lot of violence in the first movie but i don't think anything is quite as gnarly or gross as the scene where one of them attacks john glover and he lowers it into like the paper shredder yeah. and it just gets ground up into this like guacamole of <laughs> gremlin it's... i did want to dip chips in it <laughs> Yeah, but I saw, that's almost like gross out, but almost to me not scary. I don't know whether I, how I would have felt as a as a kid. But I like, don't know, and also I say like this is way later, but like the spider gremlin scene, I think that's as scary as anything in the first movie. Also, I'm still a little bit terrified by the gremlins when they're about to multiply, and you see them transparently through the other gremlins' backs. That's yeah. creepy. Oh, I don't that's like gross. that. Yeah. Also, the one that looks like Leonard Malton. yeah oh can we talk about that scene for a minute yeah the letter vault in the scene yeah Yeah, well you know well they are running amok and there's this is also a tv station which is part why it's like ted turner they go on 
this sort of Leonard Maltin show, and Leonard Maltin is giving a shitty review of the uh, Gremlins VHS tape, <laughs> which is the first moment where it like breaks the fourth wall, where it, yeah, it's like because it's they set up. We didn't talk really about the Warner Brothers cartoon at the beginning. No, of and we definitely should have. Um, but I mean, yeah, it does open with a, a cartoon, and you know, it's not necessarily part of the movie, but it also bookends it. Uh, at the end so it sort of is encapsulated within this like cartoon framework well it kind of is because like there i was watching so i bought the dvd for this or the Mm blu-ray because i i wanted to uh because you were ashamed for not owning it already i wanted to have it yeah sure i don't even have the first one on on dvd but i have now i have the second one but i was watching some of the extra features and there is a much longer version of the looney tunes opening where they right. like look up like Daffy's like typing Gremlins two on a computer or something, so it kind of <laughs> foreshadows the computer stuff. But also, uh, and it was all like written and directed by Chuck Jones. Mm-hmm. But they cut it because Joe Dante said that audiences were confused as to whether or not this was actually the movie. <laughs> right. But he also said like the reason why they put that in the beginning was. For one thing, as like a callback to when, you know, Looney Tunes shorts would precede the feature mm-hmm. film. But also it kind of like called its shot a little in, in terms of like the movie is saying yeah. like, hey, we're basically making a Looney Tunes cartoon, it but with Gremlins. Yeah, exactly. So I think it is kind of important. And I think like, yeah, we have that stuff at the beginning. And then we have a lot of stuff that could kind of fit nicely with the first gremlins movie but then mm-hmm. as soon as we come to the leonard malton scene it definitely zigzags in a, oh. and it, it starts to take off in a whole other direction mm-hmm. yeah leonard malton gets attacked by the gremlins and he really did give a bad review of the original gremlins so i mean yes. it was sort of big of him to to come onto the set and uh, big of joe dante to have him as well well or maybe I, not i remember <laughs> I hearing Leonard Malton talk about it years ago. Uh-huh. I got to, okay. First of all, I've got to say, I love Leonard Malton. Like I grew mm-hmm. up like so many people our age with the Leonard Malton guide. Right. Every time you went to the bathroom, every time made... I went to the bathroom, I had a tattered copy. Some no joke. And I recently, because after watching this movie, I ordered a new, like the most recent edition oh. of the Leonard Malton guidebook because I would like that to be in in my bathroom now. Nice, nice. But I do love Leonard Malton. Like I've heard him on a lot of podcasts, and I know he has a podcast. And yeah, Leonard Malton's great. But I remember hearing him talk about this years ago because you know Joe Dante is not just a director; he's a real like film historian and absolutely. And, and he used to be a critic himself. So I remember Leonard Malton saying that him and Joe Dante became friends, basically, and you know. Aww. As a film critic, I don't think Leonard Malton felt especially comfortable having a lot of like filmmaker friends because right. his job is to critique their work. Mm-hmm. And so I think when it came time to review Gremlins, I remember him saying something to the extent of like he felt very uncomfortable because he did not like it and gave it a bad review. Uh, but then what happened was his friend Joe Dante years later was like, hey, let's <laughs> do a scene <laughs> Where we put you in the movie giving your bad review for Gremlins and and Malton went. And incidentally, Leonard Malton gave a good review to Gremlins 2, the yeah. movie he is in. 
which I, I don't know, maybe recuse yourself. Why, how is he allowed <laughs> to do that? <laughs> yeah. And I think like even in the original review, he has like a cheeky, he says cheekily, there are some uh, extraneous cameos or something like that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Superfluous I, cameos. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> Yeah, but it, it is great, and it also it does set the movie off the rails because everything goes amok. Like the gremlins are screwing up everything, and like at one point the the film melts away, and the gremlins start doing shadow puppets against the screen oh, of the yeah. theater that I'm not even in. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I watched this movie. I watched it in my basement. And I projected it, and so I feel like oh, that that shit. scene played well. And I don't know, I must have seen it on YouTube or something in the years since, but like that scene where the projector breaks down and, well, we should describe the scene because the projector breaks down and the gremlins start doing shadow puppets. And Mm -hmm. then there's like a whole scene where like the mom comes out and complains. And who's that actress? Because I know she was also in Amazon Women on the Moon. I remember that. Which Joe, okay. Joe Dante directs some of the segments. I can't remember her name, but then she goes and complains to like the theater manager, who's played by Paul Bartel, Belinda Belaski. That's it. She complains to Paul Bartel, and then he goes and gets Hulk Hogan to mm-hmm. like, deal with it. Yeah, it's so and yeah, so crazy and yeah. I mean, the the Hulk cameo is so wacky, and uh, he just sort of like, yeah, he just gives him like the spiel. And then the movie starts up. We have gremlins in the attraction. Could you help us? Gremlins? In this theater? Now? Okay, you guys, listen up. People pay good money to see this movie. When they go out to a theater, they want cold sodas, hot popcorn, and no monsters in the projection booth. Do I have to come up there myself? Do you think the Grimsters can stand up to the Hulkster? Well, if I were you, I'd run the rest of Gremlins too, right now. Sorry, folks. It won't happen again. Did you watch the VHS version, like the version they included on video? I didn't have time, no. It's basically like the video starts getting staticky, and then it's like the gremlins are in a shootout with John Wayne. Like, they they edit them into a John Wayne movie, basically. <laughs> they kill John Wayne, and nobody's sad, because he was a racist. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> no, yeah, I didn't see it, but I, I read about it. I wonder, like, what they would do now, like, if they updated it for... For like today's thing, I mean, yeah, the 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 movie version, the movie theater version is much better. So I'm right, glad yeah. it's it's been restored for for Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Plus, you get uh, the Hulk cameo. You know. And, yeah. Uh, More residual uh, checks for Hulk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he can. Yeah. He can take down another website <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> but Billy eventually gets clamp. The, you know, billionaire head of the of the company and they start concocting a plan to a stop the gremlins from getting out and then b kill all the gremlins. And so what they want to do is they want to change the clocks Mm. and trick the gremlins into thinking it's midnight when it's like, you know, nine o'clock. I bet that works with kids. But uh (laughs) 
And then they'll all congregate and then they'll, you know, expose them to the sunlight. And then remember, gremlins don't like sunlight. They will all die. It's a whole thing. Like he has to go outside in his special, he has like a special exit with like an elevator that pops up under a tree planter. I thought that was pretty neat. Oh man, and we didn't even mention the fact that Dick Miller shows up again. Well, exactly. Yeah, the the Futtermans are in <laughs> New York City to see some shows, maybe see Phantom, maybe see Cats, and see Billy. But he is like PTSD'd from the <laughs> Gremlins. And, it, you know, it sounds like he's had a really hard time. Like, they're saying, like, oh, he's okay to, like, come out into the city? And they're like, yeah, it's, he's... he's you know, it'll be good for him. Well, he it'll already had him. PTSD because he was like in the first movie, he was like the connection to that those stories of like World War Two fighter jets. Right. Because that's where that's like he coined the term gremlins in the first movie, if I'm right. not mistaken. No. Refer- yeah, referencing yeah, yeah. That. So yeah, I mean so I mean obviously he's in like every Joe Dante movie, so they had to he comes back to visit <laughs> Billy, like a kid he knew in the town, like it's not his dad, it's not his no. family. And then, it's just, it's, what did he, didn't he drive the garbage truck or something? Yeah, and then well, they, that was the Burbs, I think. Oh shit! <laughs> but another movie I love, by the way. Uh, yeah, you, you guys did that on the podcast, and I wasn't on it. And uh, yeah, the Burbs is great. I earlier in the pandemic, my my brother in law was going to show my nephew the Burbs. Oh uh, man! Because they're terrifying a kid out of his uh, mind for the first time. Well, he's like twelve, uh, I think he's oh, okay. or thirteen now. But they were—he uh, doesn't live in Toronto anymore. But he came down to go to Bay Street Video and to buy a copy of the Burbs. And he told nice. us that, and I was like, "Hey, pick us up a copy too." So they, <laughs> he got two <laughs> nice. copies of the Burbs Blu-ray and dropped one off for us, and and I rewatched it, and it's uh, it's terrific. It's it's a great movie, and I, I you know and I, Henry Gibson is in that's his name right? Yeah, Henry Gibson. He shows Gibson's up here too. Yeah, he has a little cameo, and uh, I mean he still looks terrifying. I still get the chills when I see him, even oh, totally. though he's like you know being he's like the peon in the situation, but uh, so good. He even yeah. scares me in Magnolia. <laughs> he's like that <laughs> barfly. Yeah. But yeah, so Dick Miller shows up. He's supposed to stay with Zach Galligan and Phoebe Cates, but like they're having marital issues. So they tell mm. him to go away, and they're like, "All right." <laughs> and they just like pick up their eighteen suitcases and walk out the front door. I was like, "Man, I would be so upset if I were the Futtermans." <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but then again, they don't owe him nothing. They're not family. That's true. But. Futterman, I mean, he comes through. He gets through his, like, PTSD. He kills, like, the bat gremlin. Or, I mean, he at least, like, douses it in cement, and then it goes and becomes a... Uh, a, uh, a gargoyle. Gargoyle. Yeah. Yeah, which is really cool. And, yeah, and then he goes into the building and is, you know, ready to kick some ass. And, uh, yeah. And then, oh, there's also, I forgot to mention, there's Robert Prosky's character, oh, yeah. who's, like, the Herman Munster-esque television host well, he's, he's, he's like, more like a like you know i don't know if we had this so much in canada but i know in the u.s they all kind of had like their local tv horror mm-hmm. personalities i mean here we had the hilarious house of frightenstein but right. in the states like they would all have these kind of horror personalities who showed horror movies late at night and you know would kind of comment on them or her or you know uh yeah, host them basically, and mm-hmm. and this like Sven Gulli was one I know, right? 
and this was seemed like kind of a love letter to to those guys or 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 that yeah aspect of pop culture and it was such a beautiful story too because like he he gets the most kind of moving arc of the whole movie because mm-hmm. like it's the emotional core yeah because he says at the beginning to zach galligan that he you know he went into broadcasting not to be like a horror host but because he wanted to be a reporter and mm-hmm. he never got the chance and then he gets the chance by reporting on the the gremlins attacking the building because no other reporters are in the building and it is is kind of sweet and he does it all in the Dracula costume, yeah. which is sweet and <laughs> hilarious. And Robert and he also Robert Prosky, also... I, I just got to say, I, another movie I rewatched in the pandemic that I think I mentioned earlier in in, the, in another episode was Thief, mm. and that was his first movie. Whoa! Because I think he was a stage actor. He was like in his forties in Thief, and he right. is so scary in that movie. Oh. Just one of the best movie villains of all time robert prosky and thief and but he's also you know he has the capacity to be very sweet and avuncular which is partly what what makes the turn in thief so effective Uh, and yeah i i just love him and uh i think he's great here to you live exclusively over the clamp news channel from the lobby of the clamp center building where this invasion by strange creatures uh, perhaps from another galaxy or from a dimensional war <clears throat> has run riot throughout this building sending hundreds of people fleeing for their Dracula. lives he's so great yeah and yeah so much of this movie i mean it sort of abandons the main characters almost in a way i mean yeah they're there and they are you know sort of doing their thing and they have some like relationship stuff to work through because of uh, Zach going to this Canadian restaurant with this uh, with his <laughs> boss, but uh, not cool. But um, for the most part, like it follows like the Gremlins just destroying things. Like it really like lets loose, and it really goes like anywhere. But eventually, Zach Billy he gets um, at one point he captures the electricity gremlin in the uh, phone. Oh, yeah, so the 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 sun plan isn't going to work because it's uh, cloudy. So uh, nobody nobody checked the weather. They didn't have the weather channel at the time. I don't know. But so that plan's not going to work. So plan B, they have to get the electricity gremlin, which Billy trapped in the phone by just holding the phone up to it. Sure. I don't know how it converted to audio or whatever. I don't know. But okay. Suspension of disbelief. <laughs> he gets everybody to soak all the gremlins who are at this point doing like a huge musical number. They're doing, you know, at least the third best version of New York, New York after Frank Sinatra and Liza Minnelli. And they get all of these gremlins soaked. So they're like multiplying and, you know, there's more gremlins popping up. And Dick Miller's like, I hope you know what you're doing, kid. Because, uh, you know, he doesn't like these gremlins. But so they're all in the lobby. And then water conducts electricity. Mm. So the electricity gremlin is on hold and he takes it off hold. And then he electrifies all of the gremlins and they die and like the smart talking one who has a conscience and possibly even a soul he dies <laughs> i guess they all have souls because uh he was just yeah, the one I... that was imbued with the ability to speak well i don't understand okay i 
I mean, I don't know whether people are born good or evil, but why is there one good mogwai and for every one good mogwai, there's like 10 evil mogwai, you know? Like, what's the deal? I mean, I think it's the same ratio as humans, right? I guess that's about, yeah, it sounds about right now that I think about it. Well, also, the other thing we haven't mentioned is that, because as Key and Peele would have us believe, there was one female writer in the room. There is a lady gremlin (laughs) who who wants to marry Robert Picardo. Right. And, And the movie kind of ends with him being like, well, let's go for it. I mean, it's kind of like the Some Like It Hot ending. Exactly. Where he's like, <laughs> nobody's perfect. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's Sure, it's a gremlin. Yeah. I I mean, I... I it's troubling. I love Robert Picardo. I think he's hilarious in this movie. Oh, he's great. And uh, yeah, that... I mean, I also think... Maybe we should talk about this in the second half. But I do think that the the theme of the gremlins perhaps representing this sort of repressed libidinous aspect of of the human psyche comes out in this movie i think it's carried over because okay so when things go wrong in like mechanical things it's because people are horny yes (laughs) that is always the case my internet went out earlier today and i was like (laughs) who is horny at the internet company Uh, no, but I think, I, I mean, you know, in the first movie, I think a lot of people have attached different meanings to the gremlins. I mean, I, we mm-hmm. probably talked about this when we did the earlier podcast, but like, it's also been, a, it's also been called like one of the most racist movies because, you know, it's, it's about this sort of very white community that gets terrorized by this, this race of, of dark skinned creatures who, you know, mm-hmm. uh, don't subscribe to their sort of white suburban norms. And I don't think that was intentional necessarily. Like <laughs> I see it more from like this sort of psychosexual mm. standpoint. And I know I kind of sound yeah. like the like Institute of Gremlins 2 studies Twitter, <laughs> even saying that. But like, I do think like there's something in the first movie where it's like very much about like this, these two young characters. And I think follow these rules or there will be all this reproduction happening. Well, that that's totally it. And it's, it's not just that it's like at the end, like, you know, the, uh, the Mr. Wing character comes back and is like, you, <laughs> you were not responsible enough to like, look after <laughs> You're not something. ready for a baby. Yeah, no, totally. And so I think oh. like that's, that's in the first movie to a certain extent. And I think that, does crop up against again here because what creates the gremlins is Zach Galligan's willingness to go along with his boss's sort of adulterous mm. advances because I mean he's not married to Phoebe Cates but like no. you know he's kind of going behind her back and going for dinner with his boss who he is not interested in perhaps but is is going to dinner with knowing that she has her eyes on him Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you know what I mean? Like that's that's the moment that leads to all of the other, uh, all of the gremlins coming out is this act of, yeah. of sexual betrayal or romantic betrayal. And again, it's like, I mean, it ends with him being able to retain possession of Gizmo, but mm-hmm. I think there is the implication that that the responsibility of of uh, of having a romantic relationship or a sexual relationship is not to be taken lightly and has consequences. 
Mm. And sometimes negative consequences if you... <laughs> there will be electricity gremlins. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think that's... Watch where you put your willy! <laughs> I think that's just baked into like the core. That's like the baseline mm. of the Gremlins universe. But then there's all Very of these antics on top. Yeah, yeah. I, I I like that. Okay, well, let's just wrap it up. I mean, did we, the Gremlins are dead. Clamp has a change of heart. He's going to use Billy's small town design for some thing that he's doing in New Jersey. And that's the that's it. That's that's Gremlins too. The new batch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll take a short break and we'll be back with some behind the scenes and the trivia. So don't go away. Welcome back to Rewatchability. We are talking about Gremlins, the 1990 movie starring Howie Mandel. I sort of forget that he's involved yeah. in this, but he had like a bit of a career as like a, you know, a weird voice yeah. guy for a bit. Gremlins 2, by the way. You you just said Gremlins. Oh, okay. Uh, sorry about that. Gremlins two colon the new bag. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I wonder if Howie Mandel had any notes about that Canadian restaurant. Oh yeah. He, well, his notes were probably like, "Don't touch me." <laughs> and <laughs> deal or no deal? I don't know. Yeah. Remember Bobby's World? Of course. I liked that show when I was a kid. I tried to show it to my kids recently, but oh wow, it was like it's on. Amazon Prime, but like the quality was really bad, and they just complained about how old it looks. So we turned it off after five minutes. <laughs> oh wow! Well, yeah. I always, you, I remember his mom had the, you know, used to say like "Don't you know" all the time. And uh, before I saw Fargo, that was the Bobby's World's mom accent, and now it's the Fargo accent. Right. No, it's the same character. That's his Bobby's mom is Marge <laughs> Gunderson. Oh my God! That's who she's pregnant with. Yeah, it's she's a pregnant with Bobby. It's a prequel and to Bobby's world. <laughs> oh my God! The Coen Brothers' Bobby world is uh, wow. Okay, so I have some trivia for you. I'm a little nervous about this. I gotta say because this movie is so crammed full of like jokes and cameos and references that I feel like I should know. Yeah. I even I was trying to prepare for this. I watched like like I said I got the Blu-ray and. Uh, one of the features is like the making of Gremlins to the new batch. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'll watch this and there'll be lots of information in it. And I watched it and it was only six minutes and it was made at the time. And it's just like, it provides no information about the making of the, of the movie. It's basically <laughs> like a joke featurette about how like Gizmo is a real actor and he's like very demanding on set. <laughs> And like it purports that like the gremlins are real actors, and it was yeah not informative at all. That's yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, I mean, but I will try my, my best. Tri- you know, sometimes these trivia questions are are just to sort of shoehorn a lot of uh, sort of you know bonus information into a uh, small little you know soundbite. So okay, it's okay if you get them wrong. No, it's um, not. But- no, it's not. But uh, okay, so this one's really tough, and you should be ashamed if you don't know it, because it means that you don't know cinema. Okay. (laughs) This movie features a cameo by Hulk Hogan. Yes. And you may say it even launched his brief Hollywood career. So, JM, can you name three other movies featuring Hulk Hogan? Okay. Harry Hulk Hogan. Uh, Don't get it confused with Paul Hogan. That's Crocodile Dundee. It's It's not in there. Of course I can name three movies with Hulk Hogan. Okay. 
there's Mr. Nanny. Okay. Santa with muscles. Okay. Uh, No Holds Barred. Yeah, that's right. Suburban that Commando that. is that one? That's that's the that's the other one that I have written down. Okay. Yeah, that's good. You got all four that I had uh, bothered to write down. Yeah, No Holds Barred was actually before uh, this, so he already had a little bit of Hollywood sort of going there. But I remember Hulk Hogan being like a big actor. You know, they tried to like make him an Arnold Schwarzenegger sort of fella. Did not work, <laughs> you know? And I thought for a while, like, that would be, like, The Rock's fate. He'd be, like, Hulk Hogan. The Rock, he's doing it. He's a better actor than Hulk Hogan, that's for sure. Oh, it's not even close. Yeah, he's he's charming, and, yeah, he's a good actor. Exactly. Yeah. And, and also, seems like a nice guy. Seems like a nice guy. Hulk Hogan, uh, all that drinking milk shit was a total uh, f- facade, and... Uh, I guess I fell for it. Fuck you, Hulk Hogan. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so my second trivia question was, which two actors in this movie have played the same Batman villain in different Batman series? And uh, oh. you sort of already mentioned that. Oh, because John Aston and John Glover both played the Riddler? Exactly. All right. Yeah, yeah. John Glover, I, I that's my favorite. Well, I, I do love Frank Gorshin also, but... Maybe my favorite Riddler is still the John Glover Batman the Animated Series. Yeah, version. I mean, it's good. It's good. Yeah, I love that. I haven't seen it in a while, but uh, I mean, everything about that show was so pitch perfect. You know? Oh, it's, he's and he's great in it, his performance as the Riddler. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's also, I mean, he was also... Lex Luthor's dad in uh, Smallville. So he has a lot of these uh, oh, yeah. comic book sort of... Uh, I didn't watch Smallville. Well, you don't have to... I mean, a lot of those actresses were in a cult. So, you know. <laughs> he's also... Isn't he? I don't know how that would change the experience. He's but. in one of the Batman movies, isn't he? Um, He might is be. He, one thing... Like Batman Forever in a deleted scene? Or am I crazy? He could be. One thing that I was surprised that he was in, because uh, I love the show when it ha- when it was on, but, uh, you know, I never, it didn't last very long, was Brimstone, where he played uh, the devil. Oh. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, sorry. He's, pretty awesome. he's, he's in Batman and Robin, and he is like a, oh. a doctor. I think he works at Arkham or something. Interesting. Oh, well, there you go. All right. Okay, so... Third question, and this is this is a toughie, okay. I think. Maybe not. I mean, you know a lot about movies. Um, I would not know this if I didn't look at the IMDb trivia and Wikipedia. So, Robert Picardo references Bruce Lee to Mr. Wing, who is played by, I hope I'm pronouncing his name right, Key Luke, maybe Kie Luke. Um, name one of his sort of tentative connections to Bruce Lee. Oh, his tentative connection? Yeah. I mean, oh. they weren't in... I mean, they were kind of in the same movie, one of the same movies, but some of the other connections are like a little, you know, a little bit more like, you know, Kevin Bacony. Okay. Wow. I No, I don't know. Okay. Well, I'll tell you. Okay. Please. First of all, he was the original Cato in the Green Hornet movies. What? 
Yeah. There was a Green Hornet movie, and he was Kato. What, like a serial? I don't know. It's on the IMDb. <laughs> it's there. Yeah, it's probably like a serial okay, wow. or something like that. Wow. But he originated the role, which, of course, Bruce Lee would go on to famously portray in the series. And he actually showed up on an episode of the Green Hornet uh, TV series in the 60s as well. So I thought that was pretty neat. That's the amazing. second thing okay. is he is a voice. He dubs one of the characters in Enter the Dragon, famous Bruce Lee movie. Um, he dubbed one of the voices? Yeah, okay. yeah. Well, he did the voice, but he wasn't on screen. Somebody else was the, was the actor on screen. Okay. And then third, and this one is also a little bit tentative, but I think, I think, it, I think it counts. He played Master Poe. In Kung Fu, a series which was allegedly stolen from Bruce Lee. Right, yeah, I I did hear that. Yeah. Uh, Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I I looked at his uh, IMDb and his Wikipedia, and he had like a long, really interesting career. I mean, he was sort of first famous for playing Charlie Chan's son in all of those, you know, horribly racist Charlie Chan movies. But, you know, he made a good career out of it. He was one of the founders of the Screen Actors Guild. Wow. Yeah. And this was one of his last movies. He was in Alice, which came out after this. But, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, he passed away uh, in 1991. So, I mean, so good. Obviously, the racial stereotypes in this movie and the Orientalism and everything is awful. But I hope this guy, you know, at least made bank, and he seemed like he had a, like an awesome career. So, oh, he's great, uh, yeah. And I just looked it yeah. up. That Green Hornet movie he was in, it was a series of uh, of serials. Cool. Yeah. No. Yeah. He's great. He is. Uh, he's been in yeah, just tons of stuff. Amazing. Yeah, I mean, just like yeah, so many voices. He did voices also on like the on like a Spider Man cartoon. And there was something else that I saw as well. But yeah, just like a, you know, a super great career. But uh, yeah, sort of unfortunately represented here. But uh, well, also, you know, it was too bad also that I mean, maybe it's for the best because the character was not was not written in the most culturally sensitive way. But having him kind of killed off off screen at the beginning of the movie when when he was such an integral part of the first one was mm-hmm. a little unfortunate. Um, but I, I mean, I was going to say maybe there's no way to kind of salvage that character, but like, like we said earlier, the, the sort of prequel series is going to try, I guess, to delve into that backstory. Yeah. Which I think is good. Uh, he said uh, if they do a third Gremlins movie that he would like to be in a flashback. Of course, he passed away. But, uh, you know, uh, it seemed like he was, you know, enthusiastic about it. He's good. You know, I like everybody in these movies. I, I like Zach Galligan. I love Phoebe Cates. Uh, mm-hmm. Chuck- oh, I forgot to mention, <laughs> this is like random, but my ex-girlfriend used to have Zach Galligan as an acting teacher. I remember NYU. you saying that. Yeah. Yeah, and surprisingly, she didn't break up with me for asking too many gremlins questions. <laughs> was it just like every acting lesson? Like, okay, you're in a scene. A gremlin's coming at you. Here's what you do. <laughs> yeah, probably. Like, uh, uh, Professor Galligan, what do we do if the scene isn't about a gremlin? I don't understand the question. 
<laughs> okay, it's moving on. If it's a smart gremlin, if it's a gremlin with bat wings, here's what you do. <laughs> yeah. His uh, productions of Chekhov's The Cherry Orchard, though, are legendary. <laughs> well, here we are in the chair. Oh, my God, a gremlin. <laughs> Everybody look. You have to give up the cherry orchard. Ah! <laughs> yeah, it's classic. Yeah. Yeah, everybody is great in this. I mean, Joe Dante just clearly loves movies so much and loves making movies and loves actors. And I mean, he is a, sometimes a crazy comes through. encyclopedia of movies. He is a maniac. He has seen so many movies and his mind is like a steel trap. I mean, I know he's not that old, but like, I mean, he will on his podcast, people will come on and ref and, you know, mention some movie you've never heard of. That's like some check movie from 1956 and they'll bring it up maybe with the hopes of stumping him and he'll be like oh well the thing about that is it was released under eight different titles and you know and here's what happened to the lead actor like oh my god how how do you remember all yeah. this stuff yeah i mean yeah and it, it like it shines through like that's why like all like the cameos are great that's why like him having his crew Dick Miller and uh, all those are, are great. And yeah, all like the connections to other movies. Like there are so many like references to things. I mean, there are references to things I didn't understand. And then I would look them up and it would be like a reference to a movie. Like at one point there's a brain in a jar and it says something like, you know, I can't even remember. It says something like uh, some name on it. So I looked up the name and it's a reference to some like 1950s movie, sci-fi, you know, the sort of movie that they would show on the uh, Robert Prosky characters program. Was it uh, yeah. the brain that wouldn't die or something like that? No, it's about a rich guy who they save his brain. Maybe that does that ring a bell? Is that the brain that doesn't die? Uh, I don't know. There's probably a bunch of brain movies. <laughs> People love brains. Yeah, well, I mean, this movie, it came six years after the original Gremlins movie. And Warner Brothers, who produced the first one, they immediately wanted a sequel because, I mean, to the first one, because it was a huge success. There was, like, lots of merchandising. And Joe Dante had felt like he had wrapped everything up. He'd given Gremlins a proper ending, and he didn't want to do it. So... The studio moved on without him, and they started developing Gremlins without Joe Dante. And they went through a whole bunch of crazy ideas, like the Gremlins go to Vegas. You know, sure. yeah. that could be fun. They they gamble. They go. They you know, there's like a show. Yeah, um, they go they see play. Celine Dion. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. They sing "Viva Las Vegas" at some point. I I know these are all things that happened. More than a decade later, but <laughs> <laughs> but they didn't go with any of those ideas, and eventually it came back around to Joe Dante, and he said, okay, well, I still don't really feel like there's any reason to do a sequel, but they gave him complete creative control, and he decided to basically, you know, use it to sort of spoof the original Gremlins and also movies in general and just you know make it like this big crazy thing yeah which yeah. is i've heard what it is i've heard him talk about that too in interviews and it, yeah yeah and that's exactly right like he didn't see any reason to do it and they tried to do it without him i mean it wasn't even like he had written gremlins it was chris columbus wrote gremlins 
but mm-hmm. he had obviously you know directed it and and he put a stamp on it oh totally sure. i mean i honestly i forgot that chris columbus had written gremlins because everything else that chris columbus has written is so like you know smarmy right yeah and so i i think this way yeah he and he wasn't that interested in doing another one and they tried to develop it without him and it didn't work so when they came to him and were like you know please make this movie he had uh, a lot of leverage and he used all of it to make just an insane movie i don't i don't think it like I mean, it does poke fun at the original Gremlins. It even like pokes fun at like the merchandising of Gizmo and stuff at the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't know. Like, I th- I still think there's some really good Gremlin stuff in here. Like, even like I was saying, like non comedic stuff. Like, I think the scary parts are genuinely pretty upsetting, even though it's it they're sandwiched in this completely bonkers <laughs> movie. <laughs> Yeah, I mean the the movie works like on so many different levels. I I feel like the story is, I mean the story is good. I mean it's not like there's not too much of it, but it really allows us to get like uh, all these different storylines in. Like there's Gizmo who is sort of like you know going through his own thing. Uh, well, his arc is be- like Rambo. yeah, he becomes Rambo because he likes watching Rambo on TV. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that feels like very like true to like the the eighties and nineties was like the imitation of maybe just the imitation of Rambo. Yeah, I guess <laughs> a lot of things that people. I'm also reminded of that movie. It's either called Game Over or Dial Code Santa Claus or a bunch of other things. But that's also about a kid who like has to become Rambo at the end to defeat the villain that was rumored to have been the inspiration for Home Alone. So oh, really? maybe that also filtered into Gremlins too. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. But Chris Columbus, he wasn't. Uh, he didn't write the screenplay for no. this. It was written by Charlie S. Haas, who uh, I don't know if he's related I'm, to Lucas Haas. I'm looking on an IMDb, and he is apparently some guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess Chris Columbus was doing Home Alone at the at the time. Yeah, he probably yeah he probably didn't feel the need to. He was like, I don't. These gremlins are a bit dark, you know. I mean, I thought it was fun at first, but uh, maybe we should just uh, torture some house robbers. So he did later write another Joe Dante movie, which is one I've wanted to do on the show on the podcast for a while. Oh, which one? That's Matinee. Oh yeah, we should do Matinee. I I remember seeing Matinee uh, at a Matinee. Believe it or mm. not. Yeah, so I know. I love that movie. Appropriate. Yeah. yeah, but it's it definitely seemed like the kind of thing where they brought in a less uh, renowned screenwriter, and presumably a lot of his ideas were just shaped by what Joe Dante wanted to do, given this freedom that he had. I think so. I mean, I think it was his idea to maybe put it all in the clamp building and sort of have it right. for the most part sort of, you know, be almost like a like a bottle episode. Like it all happens in that like one space. But yeah, I mean, I, I didn't look at his, has he, did he do other stuff after, uh, after Gremlins? Not a ton. No, he did matinee and then he did a, a TV show. But yeah, I mean, hmm. it does feel like, it feels like such a Joe Dante movie. I mean, the other kind of like, sad irony about it is that like gremlins 2 was like we talked about this 
total Looney Tunes esque, right? Uh, absurd story where he was given all of he was given the, the free reign to kind of do this anarchic cartoon movie, and then years later he made Looney Tunes back in action, mm-hmm. which from what I can tell he did not have that at all, and it's. Right. Not as good of a movie, though I do remember kind of liking it. But like when he actually got to do his Looney Tunes movie, he had far less freedom than he did by making a Gremlins movie that was secretly yeah. a Looney Tunes movie, or yeah. or inspired by that. I, yeah, I, I don't know. It's just kind of funny to uh, to. I, I also yeah, I, I like that he took these Gremlin characters and made something with them that. Uh, spoke to his sensibilities perhaps more than the first movie. I mean, they're so for sure in some ways they're very similar. And in some ways they're so different. I, I don't know. I kind of love them both for different reasons. I mean, even like yeah. th- this movie, like I say, it doesn't parody it in the sense that like, I mean, by the end it gets pretty crazy, but there are scenes early on uh, where we're legitimately fearing the gremlins where the gremlins are like a real threat and gross and everything that they were in the mm-hmm. first movie. But then, yeah, we do get, like, Leonard Malton poking fun of the first movie. The movie <laughs> is self-breaking down. And then, I mean, maybe... There's the Phoebe Cates That's what I was going to say, well. yeah. Like, that, that yeah. is, like, one that I could see maybe turning off people that are super fans of the first movie. But I, I thought that joke was so funny <laughs> when I first I didn't, saw it. I honestly didn't I, remember about the uh, scene in the first movie. Yeah. You know, about her speech in the first movie. So, um yeah, I mean, it just seemed like super weird. But also, Abraham Lincoln was one of the shadow puppets they made earlier. Also, one of the gremlins, like, exposes herself to her. But, of course, gremlins don't have genitals, so it doesn't seem, like, super icky. Was but, that? Uh, I couldn't remember. Was there a flasher gremlin in the first movie, or was that just this movie? I, I don't remember, but it's definitely in this movie. But then that's this, that's what she says happened on Abraham Lincoln's birthday. Right. Seems like we traumatizing. Uh, a little, uh, little cruel, Joe. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking up. I'm trying to find if they're in the first movie, and I just searched Flasher Gremlin, and I got a $700 prop replica of the Flasher Gremlin. Wow, uh, that doesn't seem necessary. It was in one scene, yeah. and uh, no, it is in the first movie yeah. too. Yeah, that's because. I okay. thought that because that's like also like it's Phoebe Cates also overcoming the trauma of the first movie by right. like, cause she's like, you know, when that gremlin comes out and flashes her again, she's like, I'm not putting up with this shit again. And she just kicks it across the room. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, maybe this is a good place to talk about the, uh, about the sexuality of the gremlins a little bit more. Cause there is that lady gremlin. Yeah, no, totally. I think I think that is like the core of of what the gremlins represent. I mean, I think it's like I think it ultimately between the two movies gets a bit muddled and gets a bit unfocused in terms of like what what is the actual allegory here? Because in the first movie, you can see like it's this kind of insulated small town. They're kind of like, you know, it's 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 not just that they want to make a Christmas movie is they're making a Christmas movie because they're poking fun at like the Americana of, of, you know, the small town, the mythic small town of like, it's a wonderful life, you know? Mm-hmm. And 
so I think there are a lot of, uh, you know, meanings you can attach to that, uh, you know, uh, in terms of like how that uh, sort of insulated, uh, mostly white community is disrupted. you know, not not entirely white. Obviously, there are black characters in the first movie, but as I, so I can see why people would would perhaps see it as like as either being a racist movie or a movie about racism, even. But I like for me, I think of it more in terms of like it's just about repression. It's about mm. like it's about this kind of like American mode this old fashioned American mode of, of like living your life under a certain code that, right. That, uh, where, you know, and, and if you don't abide by that code, if you don't abide by like the rules or mores of society, then this like anarchic, you know, primal id that is the gremlins can escape and will just like, you know, ruin everything. And I, I, you know, I I I, I, I think there is something about like the moralizing that happens at the end of the first Gremlins movie that really speaks to that. And I think the the second movie comes close to that, like I said, with you know the the sort of near affair that Zach Galligan has. But it's mm-hmm. also like you know they poke fun so much at like '80s society. It's about like you know the the uh, ridiculousness of like the the frozen yogurt and cable TV mm-hmm. generation and how like and and how is that denying this kind of base humanity which is you know violence and uh, and instinctively awful right. and and yeah. and what happens when that uh, just erupts in this in this explosion of, of insanity. And I, that all relates to what Tony Randall is saying on the talk show, you know, about the gremlins being like, you know, a, uh, wanting a society, wanting, uh, wanting Susan Sontag. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, yeah, by the end of it, they're all, they're all sentient creatures. Like a lot of them have like t-shirts and clothes and yeah, uh, they're getting tattoos or whatever. (laughs) So no, I don't know. I I I do think yeah that that the gremlins are yeah. When it comes down to it, I think they're about like repression. They're about like the things that we uh, try to hide from the world that may even be inside of us. And I think oh shit, right. and that that might be Tony Randall sometimes. Uh, right. <laughs> oh my god. Oops. Yeah. I you know I think I think I buy that that makes a lot of sense to me um yeah and like yeah the whole like the whole like transformation of like the Mogwai into the Gremlins like once you break these like rules that seems like so you know like the way that society responds to like sex you know um, so and even like but, you know I can see it like <laughs> I see it differently now that I have kids and I love my kids dearly but like they are a handful and they are crazy and like a, a bunch of gremlins if you so will. they're less destructive than gremlins but like i you oh. know i can see the you know it, it, it is ultimately about like you know <laughs> about like responsibility and and you know keeping keeping things in check or else they can get out of control i can see it as like you know this like birthing narrative also uh yeah or or you know yeah. it's just a silly story about gremlins and we're i mean it is a lot of it. fun too yeah yeah, I mean, it, it it exists on both levels, like, really well, you know? It's definitely not, like, 
a didactic movie about uh you know about about libidinous urges or about responsibility or about children it's like a fucking crazy movie about like you know new york and the media and all of that stuff and the way that like yeah i think just like the way that people were receiving media in like the 80s with like so many options like at the end gizmo is asking about like whether they have nick at night and hbo you know so i mean this movie i mean i'll just i'll just uh well you know no jam why don't you tell me whether you thought gremlins 2 was rewatchable Oh yeah, no, it's totally rewatchable. I had a blast watching it. I mean, it's not perfect, but its faults if it has faults, I think it's that it's too much movie. You know what I mean? Like yeah. It really swings for the fences and it revels in itself a little t- bit. Totally. But it's great. Yeah. It's joyous. And uh, yeah, no, I love it. And even just like, you know, the tactile nature of the gremlins. I mean, I I I don't want to just get caught up in the like nostalgia of 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 loving practical effects because that's what it was like when I was a kid and uh that was a time when life was left less hectic but I think there is something about like the physical presence of the gremlins and even like I happen to be listening to an episode of Joe Dante's podcast recently where he was talking about that very thing and talking about like you know how in movies now, like the best special effects are usually like a hybrid of CGI and practical effects. And he was saying like, mm-hmm. you know, if I were to make gremlins now, like I would still use puppets, but the puppetry would be so much better because you could just digitally erase the puppeteers. Like you wouldn't have to be awkwardly hiding them off camera all the time. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I think there is something about like the gremlins being there in that physical space that you can really feel I mean, yeah, and they're like slick. They're yeah, gross, they're you know. Gross. <laughs> and there, there are things that are uh, dated about the movie. I mean, one thing we didn't talk mm. about is like Robert Prosky ropes the like Japanese tourist into becoming his cameraman yeah. because another Asian stereotype. Yeah, they just <laughs> they just swapped one for another. But like, yeah, that that was like a running gag in the early '90s. I remember that. I guess we got to give this guy a prequel series too. <laughs> And it was the guy from UHF. Yeah, and also from 16 Candles. That's oh. uh, Long Duck Dong. Is it? I don't right? know if I've ever seen all of 16 Candles. I haven't seen it, but, I mean, that's what he's best known for. And well, also, I know him from UHF, that... damn it. <laughs> okay. Also in 16 Candles is Haviland Morris, who plays Marla Bloodstone in this movie. Oh, okay. Yeah, I liked her. She was good. Yeah, she's so saucy. She is saucy. No, I think it was good. I like that she wasn't like though Marla, another Trumpian name. Well, yeah, I, at one point like when she's caught in like the spider gremlin's web, it seems like oh, they might just kind of like dispose of her like so many unlikable mm-hmm. characters, but she actually becomes one of the heroes at the end and All right, we'll try this openness yeah. thing. <laughs> it's so, good. No, I it's yeah, I, I, uh, I think there are certain things that are dated. I think there's certain things that don't work. I don't like, and I don't know how much of this is like the looking back at this as like a Trump substitute, how much of that mm. is like clouding my perception of this character. Yeah. But like, I wish, I wish to a certain extent that this movie had been harder on the John Glover character if he had been a tad more villainous yeah, or if he like got some sort of come up exactly, or like 
I, it's just frustrating because I, if if we if if all it took was releasing gremlins into the White House and then Donald Trump would have a change of heart right. about everything, <laughs> then you know, yeah, feed him after midnight. Yeah, get some water on him. Yeah, I'll 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 start the hose. <laughs> so like, I mean, it was it was a very gentle satire, I think, in terms of like mm-hmm. the the '80s corporate. Uh, they don't address that he's, you know, tearing down all of these like, you know, nice old places and displacing people. Like, uh, no, at the yeah, at you know. the end we're supposed to celebrate that he's uh, displacing people. It's just Billy got in on Billy. the on the on the yeah, cash, exactly. you know. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, I yeah, watching it now, I, I'm a, a little disappointed that it wasn't more of a like you said, like he didn't have more comeuppance. But I mean, how can you not like this movie? It's uh, such a joy to watch. It's full of uh, wonderful character actors. It's never boring. Yeah, I, I, I think it's, uh, I think it's fantastic. What about you, Rob? Well, I don't want to get attacked by gremlins. <laughs> no, I, I love this movie. It was, I mean, it really did bring me back. I, I want to go and look for some photos of that old gremlin of that old Gizmo doll. I, I, yeah, I, so it works on so many levels. All the stories are really good. The Gizmo storyline, I, I guess I care less about the Zach Galligan storyline, but I mean, it sort of just functions as like the spine of all the anarchy that the gremlins provide and, uh, and all the heart that little Gizmo has. And yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's a, it's so fun. There are so many like weird things. It is a movie about, it's a movie where, like, you know, somebody who loves movies, Joe Dante is clearly, like, reveling in his art and in, like, the history of his art. And it comes through. It's so fun. I mean, I didn't understand any of the references to older movies or anything when I was a kid. But it's just the the love and the joy of all of that stuff, you know, really sort of, like, came through. Yeah. And, yeah, I think it's still a great... I think it's still a great movie. I mean, I think there are probably like a bunch of references in the Christopher Lee lab that I'm sure I missed. Like at one point he walks in carrying like a pod from invasion of the body snatchers. Like I recognize mm-hmm. that. And there's also, they reference, they play like the Dracula theme or whatever, apparently um, because of course he famously played Dracula and he, he says something when he sees the bat gremlin as well. Right. I think. Yeah, I mean it's 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 stuff. It's packed, but it doesn't like ignore the other stories necessarily. Like the Robert Prosky story, which, as I said, is the emotional <laughs> core of this story. Is uh, I mean, it's still given its time. Like his character shouldn't be in this movie, like by all rights, because you have you have the the two protagonists. You have Gizmo, who is the third protagonist, and is separated from Billy and uh, Phoebe Cates for the whole movie. You don't need Robert Prosky, but Joe Dante puts him in here because he just loves that cinema and that era so much. And, you know, I think it gives it a little bit of a little bit something extra that makes it really special. Oh, totally. I yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And it does feel like somehow he balanced it all. Like it mm-hmm. it doesn't feel like one character is given too much attention over another like it does feel pretty balanced and even in terms of like billy and uh i can't remember phoebe case's character's name but like i'm glad that like she didn't 
gets uh, less screen time than him. Like she almost feel I would mm-hmm. I, I would if I had to guess I would say that she got more screen time. And, I kind of think and so. And she's uh, a better actress, I think. That, that, that with with whoa, I with mean, apologies to the class that your ex took. Uh, my my ex was really good at pretending there was gremlins <laughs> around. <laughs> If I could think of another Zach Allegan movie off the top of my head, was, <laughs> was he in Waxwork? I don't even know. Was that him? Oh, I don't know. Is, is that the advanced class? If you if you have to like pretend you're being attacked by like wax dummies, <laughs> yeah, wax. Yeah, he was yeah. in Waxwork. Waxwork. Okay. He was also in Waxwork wow. too. Uh, no, Zach. He's fine. He's good. I, I'm just. I'm glad he's, that yeah, uh, I, I I I do like Phoebe Cates, and I'm glad she got more to do here it's a great movie for uh, sure everyone should go watch gremlins 2 the do new it. batch Absolutely, i didn't look yeah. into the I novelization think... did you because i know that the gremlins novelization had a bunch of crazy stuff in it where there's an opening prologue describing like the alien overlord who is like sh- like sending gremlin aliens to earth or mogwai to earth for some to like take over the planet one day or something crazy no, okay. I did not read it. Well, that. I don't. That was the first one. I don't know if there's anything quite that divergent in the Gremlins two novelization, but uh, okay, all right, all right. We'll have to. Yeah, I mean, you can have too much backstory, you know. You don't. You don't need to fill in all the details, people. Leave a little bit to mystery. Yeah, like, is Hulk Hogan in the novelization of Gremlins? Oh yeah, I don't know. That would be the Hulkster's literary debut, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, I think yeah. he is. Oh. Hold on. <laughs> the Hulkster tore his shirt. His muscles rippled <laughs> in the light of the projector. It's something like You better run the next reel of Gremlins 2, the Hulkster spat. I can't. Yeah, there's. it says that scene somewhere in there. I keep, there's a used copy on Amazon for $30. Should I buy it? Buy okay. it! <laughs> Patreon, sorry, you're footing this bill. <laughs> All right. No, that, that, yeah. I think we should uh, yeah. end there. Okay. So, rewatchable. That's rewatchability for this week. You can find us uh, on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to request a movie for us to talk about, you can email us at rewatchability at gmail.com. Or if you go to our website, which is rewatchability.com, there is a link for a speak pipe thing. And you can leave us a little voice message and we may even play your voice on the show. Your message on the show. But if you are an electricity gremlin, we will not play it. (laughs) No, don't try to. Don't try to trick us. Um, Yeah. Also, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. And yeah, go to uh, Apple Podcasts and leave a review if you like the show. Or if you don't want to do that, uh, tell a friend. Or if you have some money like your uh, Daniel Clamp, uh, why don't you join join the Patreon? You know, become a patron at the uh, $2 million level. I think it gives you uh, the clamp tier, you know the clamp.